0: Okay, huh. Okay. whatever. That's going to be the intro.
1: No. <laughs> well, whatever, fine. All right. It's currently 42 degrees outside and feels like 41. Exciting. That is exciting. And the swing set is <gasps> nice. Oh, I'm going to go out there after this. After this? Yeah. Gross. So today we have... Basically, nothing. We're just going to sit here and listen to Minecraft Villager sounds. Yeah, let's do it. Huh. <laughs> i <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's, not, let's not do that. Um, yeah, we have a few things we wanted to talk about today. Um, I actually do have follow-up. So I don't remember how many episodes ago I was talking about my grandpa, I think, and the John Birch Society and conservatism in general. So I decided... Uh, it, it, I mean, it's been part of my reading list for a while to read the blue book, which is the John Birch Society blue book manual. It's like their, um, if they were a religion, it's their Bible, right? So mm-hmm. it's the thing they give every new member and all that. So I decided to buy it on Kindle and I just read it, and. Um. Uh, this came on by... I decided to read it next after finishing all a bunch of my sister's books um, because I had a conversation with my dad about the John Birch Society because um, my grandpa dad when I was six years old so I, I only know what I know from him because of reading journals and other personal history stuff. He, uh, my dad, said that my grandpa never actually joined the society. Um, I wasn't sure if he did or not. I can't remember if I said he did or not. I just knew he, he liked them. Um, so what my dad said is he actually thought they were a bunch of idiots, um, which is interesting. Uh, He said that he would never have joined them because they're stupid. And I'm like, okay, that conflicts with stuff that I've read my grandpa write. Because my grandpa has, everything that I've read that he talked about, the John versus society, has been positive. Then I realized um, their philosophy, some of it, is very on point. Like um, just anti-communism, why communism is literally the pits. And <laughs> and a bunch of other stuff is on point. The issue is after starting this book, I now think they're a bunch of idiots too. So hmm. if you read the Wikipedia page, it's actually really negative. It's, it calls them like far-right extremists and a bunch of um, – what's the term? Like alt-right, like white supremacist sort of stuff. Like it's, it's very negative and most of that's not true. Um, their book, reading it, literally they're like – Course of like what their beliefs are is just anti-communism in general and freedom is better. And the constant they were constitutionists. Hmm. Um, they were individualists, not communalists. So is this society
0: like still around? Can you still join it or what? Yes. Technically, yes. They still have chapters and stuff. For some reason, this is sounding kind of Masony. Masonite? Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Um and like a Freemason. It's not
1: quite so religious. I mean, Freemasons aren't super – they have their weird ceremonies and stuff, um, but this – they don't the, – the John Birch Society doesn't really have ceremonies or anything like that. It's, it's mostly just a coalition of freethinkers hmm. that try to influence public opinion um, to be anti-communist. Here's the thing, though. The reason why they're idiots is because they believe people and people who promulgate promulgate however you say that word. Um, communist ideas are the source of the issue and not the ideas themselves. Whereas most other people believe it's the theory that is cancer, not the people. And so if you get rid of the people, the theory will continue to plague humanity. And I think that's the intelligent thing. That's what my grandpa believed. That's the ideas that are important, not the not the people. So you get rid of the people like the John Birch Society wants to do, and it will just keep coming back because it's a result of ignorance and a bad reading of history or a neglectful reading of history. Yeah, so. Makes sense. So, yeah, Um. so far I'm actually having a hard time reading the book because now that I have a some, somewhat kind of bad opinion of them, it's really boring, especially since their book is a transcript of a presentation from 1958. And it has some interesting stuff. I read about three pages of it today, and it was talking about um, – the Soviets' rise to power and how they were coming, f- like how they were solidifying control over Eastern Europe, hmm. is interesting. A um, little bit of history, but um, overall, the John Birch Society is a waste of time. Hmm. It also probably doesn't help that their president of the society is eighty-three years old. Whoa! And I am pretty sure he doesn't do anything. <laughs> pretty sure, like none of them
0: do anything. So, oh. when did it start? Did it-
1: it was formed in 62, I believe. So who's the leader? Is it still the same guy? No. So the r- r- initial leader is a guy named Robert Welch who handed it off to a- another guy who was the head of PR. He appeared on like 60 Minutes back when it was a big thing mm. and a bunch of other stuff. He was like their head of media relations. He became the next president and CEO or whatever they called it of the society. He... Um, was about 80 maybe it's like 78 when one of the board members staged a coup and took over and this guy is has been in control ever since so it's been like since 2012 since he took over so he's been an old man leading this for five bad math however many years that is so who's john birch then um, so Robert C. Welch Simulation named it after something, and I can't remember what that is. Uh, so, like John Birch or the Birch, it's like, it's like Birch something, or I was named after a specific person in history that was important. Hmm. And I can't remember anything about that because I don't think I've gotten to that part of the
0: book yet. Hmm. That's interesting though.
1: Yeah. Overall, my opinion of the, of the thing is it's not something I'd ever join because they're pointless. They're not going to do anything. I mean, they have done stuff in the past that's been good. But for the most part, it's, uh, in the long term, a waste of time.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Because theories and ideas are way more important than people. True. Much more important than people. That is true. So, follow up there. Nice. Yeah. So, um, you didn't have anything you wanted to talk about? Any mini topics? Um, no, nah, not really. Okay. Yeah, well, um, I wanted to talk about the American chestnut tree for a little bit, <laughs> because woodworking, and I'm actually pretty bummed out about it. So, this is actually something interesting I came across a while ago, because I was watching a YouTuber, um, I, what's his name, I'm trying to remember if it's Third Coast Craftsman, I think that's who it is, Third Coast Craftsman, awesome YouTuber that does a lot of hand work. Um, woodworking. He made he carved a wooden spoon from the critically endangered American chestnut tree. Um, he had a piece of it donated to him. The reason why it's okay that he did this is because the American chestnut tree, um, the stuff doesn't grow past a certain age before it's killed by fungus. Um, so it's it's critically endangered because it doesn't have any foliage. It doesn't have any like wood anymore. So around nineteen, so in, in the history of America, it was the most populous tree it was like one quarter of all eastern american forests were made up of the american chestnut tree it's considered one of the best tasting chestnuts um it has the hardiest wood it's the most useful for building stuff it resists rot very well there's still railroad ties made out of it across america Hmm. like an incredible tree that i am super jealous apparently really easy to work with too in woodworking so i'm really jealous that it's not around anymore because in 1905 some geniuses decided to um, import some Asian chestnut that was infected with a fungus, which spread to an American chestnut tree and it spread like wildfire and within 40 years killed off basically all of the American chestnut trees. Goodness. And the way the fungus works is it kills everything above the root. So the roots are still alive and they try every year they try to sprout up like leaves and stuff and then they get to a certain size and the fungus kills them so it's like ongoing ecological disaster it's considered the worst ecological disaster in recorded history so are there's they're still around that they're assuming. still around um there's actually a couple foundations that have done some cool stuff so there's one that has about a hundred american chestnut tree orchard hundred strong that is Hybridized in a way to make it immune to the fungus, hmm. kind of like the Asian tree is. And then there's a couple companies that are trying to foundations, nonprofits that are trying to hybridize it with um, Asian chestnut. And the only aspect of the Asian chestnut that they want is the the fungal resistance. They don't want it to have any other characteristics. So they just want American chestnut immune to the fungus, which is pretty interesting. Technology is hmm. pretty great that they're there. It's actually something that's possible that they can do. Um, it's just a matter of time before they do it and then even more time for it to be able to be spread to the wild and repopulate american forests with american chestnut hmm. so it's pretty cool it is pretty cool um it's a total bummer that the tree is basically extinct though yeah that is a bummer yeah can't really do anything about it though <laughs> at least i can't other than wine that i don't get a be a true American and, and work wood like a pioneer. <laughs> Build railroad ties in our backyard. <laughs> just kidding. Make furniture out of railroad ties. <laughs> that would actually be pretty cool. Is that everything you had on that? Yeah, that's a. I just wanted to give. Yeah, I just wanted to give a short, little mention about it, because I think it's it's something I would never heard of before, and it's like a major piece of American history. Hmm. A major piece of American history. Let me say that one more time for effect. A major piece (laughs) of American history. Mm, That's Uh awesome.
0: I think that's all of our topics, right? Uh, Yeah. Because we wanted to, yeah.
1: Your turn, to monologue.
0: Okay, so the next thing we wanted to do was to discuss uh, a book. Last time we mentioned, was this? of volumes on the mode i don't think so yeah i can't remember um but we mentioned that we would that we were reading a book called many are called but few are chosen and then also 1984 so we have both finished both books um today we are going to be talking about many are called few were chosen and then some point in the future yeah and then some point in the future probably next episode maybe two episodes or so uh, we will discuss 1984, so if you haven't read it, you should read it, because that one's a story, and spoilers. Much more palatable. And much more spoiled.
1: Well, I wouldn't really call it palatable. <laughs> yeah, that one's pretty depressing. It's really depressing. If you're into tragedies... No, sorry, spoilers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, the genre is... Yeah, it's like dystopian future. Dystopian. Okay, Uh, so what we've decided to do since this book has literally so many quotes. like So many good quotes. There's so much amazing information in this book. We decided that we would uh, distill it down. We have three quotes each. Ish. Ish, give or (laughs) take, depending on if we have the same quote Um, and just things that we wanted to discuss and talk about uh, within the book. Um, And if that piques your interest, then I would highly suggest reading it because there's a lot of really good information in there.
1: Fantastic. Highly recommend it. I think it's actually probably on my top five books that people and especially members of the church should read.
0: Yeah. So I guess I will kick things off. Yeah. Um, So I have a paper version you can uh if you can hear that. I don't know if you can. But uh and then Josh has it on his Kindle, so if you hear me flipping through pages, sorry. But uh can't help you there. No, sorry. So the first thing I kind of wanted to to discuss was his idea of freedom. Because when I went into this book, I didn't I was kind of hesitant on what I thought freedom was. I think I've may have talked about this before. Um like what freedom is, um, kind of the definition. Cause like, for me, I'm pretty, pretty dang conservative, you know, almost libertarian at this point. And, you know, especially libertarians, it's all about like freeness, everything, you know, you'd be able to do anything you want, blah, blah, blah. As long as it's not infringing on other people's rights, blah, blah, blah. You should be able to do whatever you want. Um, but then you have things like, uh, the whole thing, like a couple weeks ago or months ago, we talked about like the um, it being uh, legal for women to go around shirtless. Oh yeah, that was, was that um, last
1: episode or the episode before. I can't
0: remember. I think it was two episodes ago. I can't remember. One of those. Yeah. Um, and so, but I like on one point, I s- totally support being free. But at the other the other side of it, I don't love that that it's now legal. Or was I don't know if what's now does. not illegal yes yeah um to do that and so I kind of had the idea or the kind of the thought question going into this book on what is freedom so he gives uh, an initial definition at the beginning uh of ch- uh, beginning of chapter 2 which is literally called freedom its ultimate meaning and uh, he's, he defines it as freedom can be defined as the power and opportunity to accomplish one's goals. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Uh, because I don't know. Like, it's, it's I not mean, so if you make it,
1: if you think about it, like the power and opportunity to accomplish one's goals, like opportunity, I find is the interesting um, fulcrum or hinge or whatever you want to say and of that like phrase, like it, it makes sense because I don't know, opportunity is, is um, we're not free to go to the sun because we die because we don't have the opportunity to survive it. Right. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't have that freedom. And so it make like, that makes perfect logical sense that it's the opportunity and power to accomplish yeah. our goals.
0: Yeah. And so it kind of, put it in perspective that it's not freedom to do whatever the heck we want, but the freedom to, or the opportunity, I guess, in power to, to do like to accomplish what we want to accomplish. And uh, also as a side note, I watched a video on the difference between uh, conservatives and libertarians. And uh, basically the main difference is that libertarians believe that they should be able to do whatever they want as long as it doesn't infringe on other people's rights, like it's about the here and the now, yeah. where conservatives are much more um, future thinkers, and they want to pr- they want to promote healthy societies, freedom and, in the long term, yeah, freedom in the long term, um, and just good moral posterity, traditional morality, yeah. And yeah. so, after like I it was a YouTube video that I watched, I can't remember. I just searched conservative versus libertarian, um, and with that definition, which I actually really liked. Uh, I feel like I'm definitely more conservative than I would be libertarian.
1: Yeah, I I tend to avoid um, labeling myself as a libertarianism um, simply because libertarians are split down the middle between people who support birth, I mean, abortion, and who don't, Mm. um, and then people who support legalized marijuana and those who don't. I'm against both, um, and that I mean, my reasoning for that is um, the child has rights to or will when it's born, so can't abort that, and then marijuana is a deterrent in the long term it causes neurolog- neurological slowness according to like a ton of surveys and studies and stuff so that is also a deterrent to one's freedoms so i i don't like legalizing things that um you know a libertarian would argue that one has the right to damage themselves but mm-hmm. marijuana isn't a single individual's issue right like people who prom- pro- uh, like promote it and push it and put it out there cause harm to a bunch of kids as well. Yeah. And, um, I'm still, I'm still strictly on the side of don't legalizing it it, but I also don't really like how much money goes into prohibiting it. If that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Um, I think it would be much more worthwhile to pull all money from that and put it into prohibiting alcohol because <laughs> <laughs> alcohol causes way worse things. True, but
0: but at the yeah, same that time, be, that was tried before and did not go it very well. Failed miserably. miserably. Yeah, but might as well try it again next year. As the twenties, let's do it every hundred years. <laughs> yeah, oh, gosh. Um. Yeah. So, getting back on the freedom topic. Um, Sorry. No, that's fine. Um. At the very end of that chapter, so he he goes along the the in the chapter with the premise that that's what the definition of freedom is. Um, And then at the very end, he kind of changes the definition just a bit. bit, And he he now defines it as freedom is the power and opportunity to affect the freedom of others. That's the same thing. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that, like Um, the differences.
1: The differences are – I don't really see a difference in them per se. Um, Accomplishing your own goals like that, that kind of ignores – the effect that those goals might have on other people. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it makes sense, though, because if your goals would affect other people, that means you also have the power and opportunity to restrict freedom, if that makes sense. So being the most free you can possibly be means you're in all, all power, right? And so like you think of God, God is the most free person. He is the most free individual because he has all power and all knowledge. So he's capable of doing literally anything, including restricting our freedoms. And so that that in that sense, it makes perfect sense, hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I still haven't completely grasped the idea of it. Like I still need to think about it a little more because his first definition about like being able to basically accomplish your goals makes sense to me. Um but it seems, it seems a little bit more like an add-on to say that it's to um, the opportunity to affect the freedom of others. Because it seems like it's not complete. And I don't. Know it's wh- not. I don't know why I feel um, like that, but it feels like that definition, his latter definition, just isn't a complete thought yet. It's more of a little piece of the
1: puzzle. It's a piece of the puzzle, and I. I think I, I know why it's only a piece of the puzzle, and that's because if there's only one person alive, literally only one person, no other individual, mm. that meaning is that definition is meaningless. Yeah, that's true. So, whereas the first definition still stands, like having the power and opportunity to do accomplish your goals, if you are the sole entity in existence, there you go. Yeah, but at the same time, oh, I just had another thought. If you are the sole entity in existence, that means that there's nothing else but you. <laughs> philosophizing here um (laughs) that means that um you don't have the power opportunity to accomplish your goals because what if your goals involve using something else uh, some other entity true so
0: can't have or trying to um dang it dang it this is the this is the time where i insert some witty comment big brain stuff so yeah some witty (laughs) comment that of some activity that requires two people so that's basically the end of mine uh, or my first one Um, What's your first one?
1: As part of that, actually, I want to make a comment that actually includes something that he talks about in that area. Not as my first quote, so do not count this as my first quote. But he says during that section that joy is a function of freedom. Mm -hmm. And I find that very interesting. That's a very interesting thought. Me and Mike, my brother, have talked about it a lot, actually. We we had like a 40-minute conversation about it. And it, it makes sense, um, that whole idea, joy is a function of freedom. Anyway, just food for thought for that. I love people thinking about it. Um, my phone is now reminding me that it is time for Midnight's roll Podcast. <laughs> Thank you, phone. Let's get back in. So I my first quote is somewhat lengthy. <laughs> and it's just uh, – I'm just going to read it. So it comes actually later in the book. Um. So he, the book says, quote, come on, where are you? There are those who will insist that some people absolutely must receive assistance and that we simply cannot allow them to starve. It is hoped that everyone will agree to this, and when we observe anyone suffering from want, we will administer to their needs. Stating the matter in this form does not recognize the extremely important moral problem of taking, which is unavoidably a part of government charity. If, through the force of government or otherwise, they are compelled to divide with those in need, how can the Lord either bless them for being charitable or punish them for being uncharitable? The same freedom which permits men to do evil permits them to do good. If you destroy one, you have destroyed both and made freedom of choice, with its consequent rewards and punishments impossible. And he quotes the scripture, woe unto you poor men whose hearts are not broken, whose spirits are not contrite and whose bellies are not satisfied and whose hands are not stayed from laying hold upon other men's goods, whose eyes are full of greediness and who are not labor with your own
0: hands. What do you think of that? I like it. I think that's definitely, I think that's like one of the big arguments about like government charity. Absolutely. Is that it's, I mean, I feel like all conservatives, all you know, conservatives, they don't think that giving people things is wrong, absolutely at not. all. We do it a lot. But, w- studies yeah. show that Republicans give more to
1: charity, and Republicans are the party of conservatives for and, the most part.
0: Yeah, but it's it's what the role of the government is is that. The role of government has nothing to do with helping other people. It just has, well, I guess it kind of—it's administrating to our safety. Yeah, that's about it. Like it, it administers for our safety, like you said. It Literally
1: does not protect us from anything but other people.
0: Yeah, that's its role exactly. And so, I feel like that's like one of the big, one of the big kind of thing, the points that people miss is that we don't have a problem with helping others. We just have a problem with government mandated helping of others. Because if, if you take anything it uh, forcefully, it's theft. Like that's just, it's theft.
1: So part of this quote, um, in this chapter that he talks about, he, he also brings up the idea of, um, governing with the golden rule in mind, meaning the government is made up of people. It's of the people for the people. So therefore you should not be doing anything that or having the government do anything that you personally would not do yourself, meaning taxation. Let's talk about taxation for half a second. If you're building a road, and you mean for everyone to use it, what right do you have to walk up to your neighbor and demand he pay you to help build it? None. You have no right to any of his property. None whatsoever. And he has no right to any of yours, and he has no right to use your road. But, you know... That's why we're okay, like conservatives in general, we're okay with road taxation because it's it's an agreement from everyone to use something. And I think that's fine. I think that's great. Same with like public police departments, public fire. Like that is a – as long as we have private versions of those same things, I am content. Like if we have a private police department like private security or private fire departments, volunteer fire departments, I'm completely content with paying taxes for those. It's the second they become a monopoly and turn to trash like USPS Mm, mm -hmm. that I start having issues. Even though as we discussed previously, USPS is technically in the constitution. I have a problem with it because it's effectively a monopoly. It's sliding away from one as it goes because of UPS and all that and uh, are getting their own infrastructure and stuff set up. And even Amazon. (laughs) Amazon itself, literally itself. Um, So I'm I'm like okay with that because there are Mostly private versions of that, but I, like, What was my train of thought going? It's the idea that um, um, you have no right to expect other people to do something you want. And just because you put an entity between you and that person called the government does not mean it's automatically right.
0: Yeah, that actually fits into my next quote. Okay. Do you have anything else on that? Should we move on um, and continue? I
1: did want to mention, I think, um, let's see. Um, the, the whole idea, um, I don't know how much I want to talk about it, but the whole idea that um, if you don't have the opportunity or the freedom to give to people, Um, you then, or if you're forced to give to people, you, you don't get either the blessings or the failures or the, the damnations Hmm. associated with not doing that.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Um, I think that's an interesting idea that we could potentially talk about. I don't know if I want to talk about it right now though, but that, that, that whole quote about, um, uh, there's so many different ideas in there, but the, the whole government charity thing like that.
0: Yeah. 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 We're good. Uh, So the next quote that I had kind of leads right into that one. It says, the actions of government are the actions of men performed by men at the command of men and someone is going to be held morally accountable for every act performed in the name of government. In a republic such as ours, that someone is everyone. Everyone (laughs) who sanctions the act. I love that. I have never made that connection before, but if you vote for something... That has an ill effect on someone that is You're morally is morally wrong to God. You are accountable to God for that because you put your vote in to have that happen, which makes the idea of voting for someone terrifying, way scarier. It is. It is like seriously. <laughs> like
1: you, this is why the church every single election cycle sends out a letter saying, "Look into things, study it out." learn who you're voting for and vote for them and get out there and vote. It's your civic duty. It's because we have a moral obligation to God to keep society good, to to uphold good people and good values and good morals and good good. Yeah. And so when we neglect the civic side of doing that, it's a huge, it unbalances
0: our life immensely. It also shows just our like going along with you like if you don't vote or, or don't you know participate in in the political discourse that it's almost like you're saying that you're or that you're ungrateful for the constitution that God has given us you Literally, know the doctrine of yeah. covenant says multiple times that the it's constitution inspired god. was inspired yeah. of god it was given to us by god and if we are just completely letting just uninterested in the effect of laws and the, the effect of people and what they will do to the constitution what they'll do with the constitution it's kind of a little bit like a slap in the face true like, hey, we don't really find this that important and so yeah. um it, i it, i think i kind of feel bad for this, this is kind of something i've always believed
1: ever since i was a teenager that people that don't care about politics are generally speaking people i don't want to be around if that makes sense um, I don't think we share the same moral, morals or the same standards, and like I, I, hate to to like generalize people so um, critically um, by saying that, but it 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 still is there to a degree, like people who completely neglect their the politics simply because oh I hate politics why would I waste my time with that, fail to see the reason why like. It, on my mission, I came to realize that that I don't separate politics and religion. They are one and the same, because they both are questions of morality, right? So, you know, whenever I, when I was on my mission, and I had people ask me how I was politically, um, like especially Germans who I knew were just fishing to find out if I was a conservative, so they could bash me, um, I would I would I'd respond with. Um, so, like, you're asking if I'm, like, Republican or, or conservative or Democrat or something like that. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah. And I'd be like, okay, well, my political beliefs are religious. That's what I'd say. I'd be like, I have religious political beliefs. I don't separate my religion and my politics. Hmm. And people would be like, okay, I can respect that. Your personal beliefs are there. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. So, if I had literally just said, I'm a Republican, you would have bashed me. Like, it's it's it bothers me when people separate and compartmentalize their religion from their politics because they are both the same. They're just a secular system. Politics is a secular system for morality and religion is a spiritual system for morality.
0: Yeah. And I like, I had never really had that thought or was introduced to that idea until like we started chatting and having conversations and I realized like, that's why you're so political. <laughs> yeah. And it's been slowly growing on me, and I, I'm i starting to think you're right. Like, I'm not 100% there yet, but I'm just like, man, most of the time, I'm just like, I think he's right. Um, but one of the things that um, I think that I can people, like for persuasive. me, yeah, sorry, sorry. I never, like, I don't the thing is I don't like politics in the sense of you have to follow all of the scandals and the letters and the emails so, and uh, that's the all issue. Of that stuff.
1: That's one of the issues I have with it is I feel like I feel like there's a not necessarily um, concentrated effort, but there's kind of a vague effort to muddy politics away from its purest form, which is discussing solutions mm-hmm. into scandals and pop culture. Like, I, I hate the pop culture side of politics. It is a colossal
0: waste of time. It muddies the water so much, so we can't actually solve problems. And I think that um, it kind of goes back to the John Birch Society where they it's people versus ideas. Yeah. And I think politics isn't just about the events and the people. It's about the ideas that are spreading. It's about the, the yeah, the policies, the specific yeah. policies that are going to affect us for generations maybe um, and weighing in on the actual ideas that are being discussed and not so much the, the person or the, the scandal or the haircut of whoever is, whoever, whoever is being discussed or how much Ted Cruz looks like, um, what's his
1: name? The, the, uh, Zodiac killer <laughs> or whatever. The Zodiac
0: killer. What's his name? I can't, is oh, it the Zodiac killer? It was like the- a
1: whole beam sort of thing. Yeah. He has like a similar smile or something.
0: Something okay. I do you remember something vaguely um, about that? Yeah, yeah
1: it's uh, that's old, old, old politics. I don't even want to call it that. Um, so, oh, I need to. Uh, I'm going to look something up from the John Birch Society. That actually one of the things that made me keep reading it. Right. It's this whole idea. One of the reasons why I really like this book so far, even though I think the John Birch Society is stupid, is this idea that he says right here, during his presentation, he says. Ask yourself this question, and we are assuming because you're reading this that you are better informed. Do you need to be told who to vote for? And Hmm. I've realized in the last two years, because as I've studied more and more and more um, theory, I can fairly accurately judge a politician based off of a few things. I don't have to follow them. I don't have to know what they're doing every day. I just need to know their viewpoints on a few topics because if they're wrong – on that theory, then they're not the right politician, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so like I'm realizing as I separate myself and my life a little more away from Mm -hmm. the, the buzzwords and the, the, the pop cultures and the, and the stupidity of politics. And I just get into the actual political theory. Um, the political science. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, uh, making fun of poli sci aside. Um, Knowing and understanding the theory helps you weed the people out that that don't matter, and and yeah, um, how far off tangent do we get?
0: Uh, I think we're pretty pretty we're on. Still pretty on. Uh, we're right, pretty off, actually. We're pretty <laughs> off because it's about
1: um being responsible, right? Yeah, that we are responsible for what the government does in our head in our stead. Yeah. And so, right. yeah,
0: but I mean, it kind of makes sense because or it kind of it, it aligns with choosing those people, yeah, like which choosing about. those people in our moral obligation to do so, yeah um, so that that is a very
1: interesting idea, so like those terrible like it's kind of sucks to think, but the crimes that our government has made, like m k ultra the c i a did back in the the whatevers it was, the cold war stuff, um do you know anything about m k ultra nope. Um, I only know about MKUltra because Muse wrote a song about it and I decided to read into it. Mm. Basically it's the CIA did some top secret experimentation on people, um, for mind control. Oh. Like they gave people extreme amounts of LSD to see if they could get them, control them and other drugs. This is I- back before people really knew anything about drugs. This is like the sixties, the seventies. So is experimentation with mind control medications and, um, experimentations with truth serums. Basically so. just tons of drugs.
0: Okay. Well, I didn't know we actually did stuff like that anyway, keep
1: going. We did. Um, we did a lot. MK Ultras just just like the silver lining of that's a terrible way of putting it. It is the, like uh, tip of the iceberg. Tip of the iceberg. Yeah, that's a much better way. It's the shark fin. It's the dorsal fin of the
0: horrifyingly terrible things our government has done. <sighs> and that's one of the other things that's scary about which I guess we we as the people probably can't be super accountable for is because we have so much restriction of freedoms yeah like all of the the, the people that get a, they get put in office or all those things that we don't get a vote for you know like the I don't
1: know all of the random departments yeah like, the random they're, bureaucracies. there
0: are hundreds of departments we've literally
1: never heard of that are funded by government funds yeah that we have no say in whatsoever that that enforce random things
0: hmm.
1: like um there's like seven different departments that manage land in Utah alone goodness on and then there's several different branches of the military like responsible for different bases and there's there's all sorts of stuff our government does that it should not do mm. that it does and somehow gets away with it because people don't care hmm. which is why like our freedom is so restricted like if the founding fathers could see the America we have today they would have been fighting another revolutionary war over it because our our nation taxes more than British.
0: Oh, we yeah. have less representation
1: anyway. than American colonists did in Britain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like we have the illusion of represent I'm sounding like a conspiracy theorist. We have the illusion of representation in Washington. But the government has so much power outside of what we actually in our our representatives actually influence that it's ridiculous. Like they're
0: they're turning the frogs gay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Gosh. Is that an Alex Jones reference? That was an Alex okay. Jones reference.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm sounding too conspiracy theorist right now to, to my liking, but there's a lot of stuff our government does that shouldn't do, and I hate it. Yeah. I agree. Any gun law is an infringement. Do <laughs> you have any other memes I can throw out? Um, Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, That's a big one that I've seen a lot of. It's so funny, too. Those memes are so funny funny i've been watching a ton of louder with crowder videos and in the comment section is just joke, joke. yeah joke after joke about epstein
1: did you watch that long one the 35 minute one no um i watched the interview that it's about though sketchy stuff yeah holy crap abc three years ago like what the crap yeah that's that's insane that's some seriously (laughs) sketchy stuff yeah Oh no! It'll implicate Clinton. Better not do it.
0: <laughs> anyway, what's your uh, quote, number, quote number? Quote number two. Is it number two? Yep. Right, it is. Here's another quick one,
1: <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, <clears throat> let's see if I can have my eyes follow this and not lose my place. Still others argue that open competition in their field should be prohibited because, if this were not done, the unlearned, the unskilled, and the inexperienced would be serving the public. But this argument assumes it is possible to classify men into two groups, the qualified and the unqualified. Is this assumption valid? Let us investigate the matter by first observing that no one is perfect. There never was and there never will be a professional or businessman who could not benefit from more knowledge, training, experience, skill, and better facilities with which to serve the public. This fact must be faced. There are not two groups of men, the qualified and the unqualified. There is only one group and every member of it is unqualified to some extent. If those who consider themselves better trained than others desire to form an exclusive professional group and limit membership to applicants who have met certain minimum requirements, this should be their privilege and no one should interfere with it. Furthermore, if they desire to inform the public as to whom they consider qualified to engage in a given profession, trade, or business, this basic right should be protected. But to give one partial qualified group or their government agents the power to forcibly prevent those they consider less qualified from completing, competing is rank discrimination and an abuse of the power of government.
0: Yeah, that's insane. I love that quote, by the way. I almost I picked one quote. of those ones, so I'm glad you did.
1: I love this quote. I read this quote, and it, it it's thoughts that I had before that, that put it so sublimely for me that it literally blew my mind. And I read it over and over, and I was just like, whoa. Whoa, medical schools are a sham. Whoa, the government shouldn't be able to prohibit people from practicing medicine. Whoa. Like, I mean, honestly, the government does save lives by prohibiting certain people from practicing medic- medicine. How many more lives does it— kill because we have the pharmaceutical industry who's the only one that can do certain things and and whatnot like this theory here is so interesting to me we'd have such better roads than we have right now yeah. if the dot was not the only one that could do it
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna continue this thought with the one quote that follows right up in this it says Why not leave the decision to the only person who has a moral right to make it, the one who is paying the bill? Yes. I love that. It's like it leaves the person who is going to be buying said product the responsibility to do their research, to figure out if this is actually what they want, and a bunch of other stuff.
1: It's that beautiful Thomas Jefferson quote. I prefer dangerous freedom over safe um, slavery. Or, yeah. or something like one of those lines. I'm paraphrasing a bit. I love that quote. Is that Thomas Jefferson or is that Benjamin Franklin? I have no idea. One of the above. Might even be James Madison. <laughs> one of the above said that. I think it's Thomas Jefferson, though. <laughs> Dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery. That's what it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So that quote really lines up with this, though. Like, I would much rather have the freedom and the responsibility on my own shoulders. Yeah, it's more stress to choose my own everything that like it's so stupid that we're not allowed to build buildings with studs separated a certain amount they have to follow code
0: yeah and it He also goes on a little bit further down to talk about how it doesn't mean that we can't have organizations that kind of qualify Qualify people, but that can all be privatized. privatized. Absolutely. We don't need some government agency to give us a food Handler's handlers permit. Yeah cuz you think of things like even like lawyers they have to have a the uh, they have to pass the bar they have to be yeah. a member to be able to practice law in particular states uh, even hair specialists my sister literally she has to have a little piece of paper that says she's legally Allowed able to, to be paid for doing hair it's cuz someone watched
1: um um what's his, what's the name of the play um no it's I have the no idea. um oh um Sweeney Todd? Sweeney Todd. Someone watched Sweeney Todd and went, holy crap, we got to prevent this from happening. Better make it so that that (laughs) barbers have to get certification now.
0: Yeah. Or the same thing like with the FDA where they It's literally
1: just another way for some pompous bureaucrat to get more money in his pocket. Yeah. Because like the food handlers permit, literally never checked, (laughs) literally does not matter whatsoever, doesn't prohibit any foodborne sicknesses from food places, doesn't even give good education. It's always super outdated and it's crap. And you can literally just click answers and get 100% eventually. Like you don't even have to study
0: for it. And yet every single person in food service has to
1: get it. It does
0: nothing. Except I I, uh, delivered pizzas for Papa John's for five years uh, and never had one, was never asked about (laughs) one. And I think they mentioned it twice that I needed to get one. Never did. I, I got one
1: when I was an assistant manager because Domino's actually has our crap together and make sure that we're actually all had permits. Um, Papa John's, though, I worked there for three years and never got one. I was told I had to get one. And when I didn't get one, I, I, I forgot. Like, I forgot to do it. And I went to work my first day, and the manager's just like, oh, yeah, um, you don't have one yet? Okay, just get it this week and tell me when you get it. And then he turned around to the, the computer and just typed in random numbers and letters as my food handler's permit code. Oh, gosh. And it stayed that fake
0: code for three years, and nothing happened. That's terrible. Here's the thing. Government's crap. When I when I started working there, they I don't think they mentioned it once when That's I worked there at all. And then randomly, like four years, three years into it, I they remember. were like, hey, you should probably get that. And then I was like, oh, really? And they never mentioned it again. And then they finally did, but they said, yeah, just do it and we'll clock you for hours. Make sure to tell me your hours and I'll put you in. But they weren't going to pay for it. So it was like $25, but it only lasted like a half an hour or an hour. So I (laughs) I wouldn't, it would have been, I would have been losing like about 20 bucks. Yeah. And I was like, Mm, and I just forgot. Like I straight up forgot. I was like, because it doesn't matter. Dang. And they never brought it up again.
1: Literally doesn't matter. (laughs) So yeah. So that's a really good example of this, this restriction this unseen this is a hidden tax like the food handles permit is a hidden tax i mean libertarians like to bring up car registration as another one Mm -hmm. it's a hidden Mm -hmm. tax it's just a way to milk people their money why the heck does the government have to be involved with my private sell of property between someone else even like they don't do safety inspections in utah anymore it's emissions why do they care why do they get money from it it really bugs me
0: yeah yeah, I really I really like that one. Yeah. Glad yeah, you brought that, that one up. That one
1: is just so good. And it's it's probably one of the more extreme views that I have. Like I if if it were my choice and if I were the tyrant over America right now, I would get rid of the medical association, the government's involvement in any medicine
0: whatsoever. This also applies to education too, in yeah. schools, public schools. Yeah, it does.
1: <laughs> it's mind blowing. Like it's only a matter of time before they ban homeschooling. Or yeah, try to.
0: There, they have had pushes in the past. I'm pretty sure there are other states that you can't homeschool yeah, without yeah. having a very, very, very good strict, reason. and you have to pass tests. Yeah, and you have to go in every single year or every semester. Make and sure you you're not to, an
1: ignorant person. Yeah,
0: you have to pass a test, which is terrifying. The government can basically mandate what you have, what you need to know.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's terrifying. It's Orwellian.
0: That's, yeah, that's some 1984 stuff going on up in there. Anyway, we need to talk about the books, but (laughs) I... Yeah.
1: Or willing. Uh, Sneak cheek.
0: Yes. Okay, so the last one I want to talk about, it's really short, um, but here we go. It basically just says, um, when men resort to the use... (laughs) Do you have this one? That's my third quote. Gosh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No, 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 just read it. I have a (laughs) fourth. Okay. When men resort to the use of the force of government to solve all social problems, they demonstrate a lack of faith in God, or a loss of faith in God. That's literally all it is. In place of that faith, they have substituted uh, reliance on the arm of flesh.
1: I love this quote. I love this quote um, so much. I copied it and shared it on Facebook the first second I read it. Yeah, that's
0: a that's a great. It's quote. a
1: solid quote, and it makes a great point too. Like, yeah, like you just you just think about it. Like, it makes sense. If you need the government to take care of you instead of God, like that's it's it's a problem. It's as a lot of people – my brother, I said it on Facebook the other day um, on a random political post. He commented saying that government is and probably will always be just a representation of the general population. Mm-hmm. Like if the, ge- if the government is um, doing things for you, it's because the population thinks the government should do it for them, right?
0: Yeah. Actually, Stephen Crowder said today – a great thing that he said was that uh, politics is just downstream of culture. Yeah, absolutely. Which kind of fits it's, into that same idea.
1: It's that's w- another argument in favor of not separating religion from politics because, like, politics is just a manifestation of personal belief. Mm-hmm. Like, government is just a manifestation of general the general population's feelings. So, like, the more I don't want to be sound cl- a little cliched, but the more wicked the population is, the more wicked the government is. So, the more freedoms we are have restricted.
0: Yeah. And this is, this is kind of why I'm starting to slowly realize that politics might actually be hand in hand with religion, which is what you were saying that you think of them as the same thing is because of things like this, where you think of it and you're like, oh, okay, that totally makes sense that if you're completely relying on the government to take care of you, then you are ignoring God, ignoring God. And it makes, there makes me think of the quote from the law um, by that French guy,
1: Frederick. Bastied.
0: Yeah. It's a Great book, by the way. Yeah. It's like, this book is like the law on steroids, um, but the law is still worth <laughs> um, and really good. Uh, but he talks about, or he has one line in there that I remember that says basically, God has provided everything we need in order to survive. Um, and so why rely on the government to do it? Like we should have the, you know, be able to it's, freedom. It's
1: that scripture that there is enough and to spare on the earth.
0: Yeah. And so we just need to realize that, it's not the government's job to do anything. We need to rely on God instead of the government. It's government is just basically the arm it's, of flesh. Yeah, it, it literally is. Like you think about,
1: it's it's kind of like you can tell how far reaching the government is and how sick it is and big it is, by how pointless some of its laws are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like there are so many laws out there that are literally just an afterthought, and they don't don't use them at all. Um, the one that's probably used the most of these pointless laws is the seatbelt law.
0: No. Why yeah, on yeah.
1: earth is it a law that I put my seatbelt on? who cares like my family cares if I'm safe I care if I'm safe Why does the government care? They want my revenue they want my money mm-hmm. like the only reason why they like the government would care about a single citizen's life is because they want to suck it dry because they want to keep them alive to be the matrix for them like to power their bureaucratic mess. <laughs> Turn the frogs gay. <laughs> Gosh, feeling like conspiracy guy. Okay? <laughs> that's the problem with with some of of these beliefs is I like these beliefs like we have like theory behind it. We have reasons why we believe it. But when you get to the nitty gritties of things, like the seatbelt law and why we oppose it, the average person would think we're insane. Like, why wouldn't you want that to be required? Mm-hmm. Like, you want people to kill themselves? You want people to die? Like, that's a terrible thing to want. Like that argument, though, like really ignores the whole question of why does the government get to have a say in that?
0: Like yeah.
1: Why does he get to determine what I do?
0: And I think that's I think that's one of the things that I've realized as we've had discussions and I've been reading more political books is like before I ever really studied politics, I had beliefs about laws. Like I was – I've always been a conservative. But as I've thought more about it, I think, why am I conservative? Why do I disagree with this? Why do I agree with that? And it's helped, like, kind of boil my thoughts down and, you know, helped me reason through the reasons why I believe certain things. And I don't know. I don't think think any of us are crazy. I just think a lot of people haven't done that. They haven't sat down and actually thought thought through every issue. Like, if you actually think about, like, why can the government – should the government be able to penalize me for not wearing my personal seatbelt? I think it's it's the whole cons- conservative mentality of long-term
1: thinking. If you're thinking in the long term, you're thinking in the past long term as well. So, mm-hmm. like, why is the government changing from the past to the future and being more restrictive? Like, what gives the government the right to that? Like, you think about the history of mankind. Our government's really old for us. Yeah. Relative to our lives, it is really old. Mm-hmm. Relative to mankind, it is nothing. Yeah. It is just a blip in the existence of mankind. And you think about that, and you're like, "What gives our government the right to control whether or not I wear a seatbelt, to control whether or not I cut a vegetable a certain way? Mm-hmm. Like, what gives them the right to determine that?" And I also think, so the one of the other issues that I actually have about about all these restrictions and stuff is that it's it's stifling freedoms to innovate immensely Mm -hmm. think about seatbelt law car makers car makers are required to install seatbelts so since they're required to install that safety feature what motivation do they have to make their vehicles safer what if the solution to all human death in a vehicle isn't a seatbelt but it's some other safety device that we've never thought of because we're required to wear seatbelts like we're required to put a seatbelt in there there's something else that could potentially be safer than a seatbelt but we can't do it because a seatbelt's required Yeah. So,
0: and one of the other things, this is the other thing that kind of, because this is a little bit of a topic change, but kind of falls in line. Um, Yeah, so just about the government mandating certain things. Mm -hmm. um, If you think about the way that God set up our world, this this is where it gets (laughs) uh, political, like where religion gets political. He let us... Just fend for ourselves. If, Literally. If, if, we, if, if, if we do nothing, we die. If letting people die in a seatbelt without wearing their seatbelt, not making that a lot, is immoral— then God, who has let millions of people die by disease. has <laughs> let let people t- choke to death on stupid stuff. Yeah, choke to death, freeze to death, get attacked by lions, whatever it is. He is the most immoral person ever, if you think about it. Because yeah. he just left us on the earth and he said, here's a so. couple things and then just fend for yourself. So, And we've had to figure time, it all out.
1: Next time you – probably won't happen, but next time you're in an argument with someone about seatbelt law. The second they say the government should require seatbelts, just be like, So you think God's immoral? But <laughs> <laughs> make that leap. <laughs> it's the same logic, though. It is the same it's logic. It's the same though. exact like, logic. You, that's that's really the difficult thing about these types of arguments, though, and these types of theories is if they don't understand the root theory behind an issue, they will never understand how it applies to any other aspect other than the seatbelt law. Yeah. Like if you think about it, just isolated incident, the seatbelt law it is immoral for to, for someone to die because that's horrible to his family. Like, if someone is not wearing a seatbelt and they die, their whole family has to deal with it. The whole family has to deal with it. Their friends, everyone else, the society around them has to deal with it. That's immoral to force that on those people. If you're just looking at that tiny little example, it makes sense. It clicks. Like, of course that's immoral. That's wrong to enforce that on other people. But when you step back and go, but why is it more moral to require him to wear a seatbelt like what makes that more moral and moral and you realize that restricting that freedom is immoral because that enables you to restrict other freedoms and you have to restrict other freedoms to enforce that freedom like the freedom of car makers to make cars the way they want like seatbelt laws require them to install seatbelts like that like understanding the big picture of of an issue and the theory behind it is very important to be able to make the leap of like realizing that your argument about whether or not someone should be able to offend for themselves, whether or not them die, like dying is not immoral. The act of death is not immoral. It's forcing that on someone else and allowing like murder by omission does not exist. Oh Yeah it's it is not a thing mm-hmm. like murder requires a commission act so it's 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 a case in point sort of thing like it's
0: immoral because duh <laughs> yeah and if you think about it communism i think he mentions this in the book but communism is basically just satan's plan on earth yeah it's government it's government mandated satan's plan it's that's what socialism and, and these huge governments it's all just. The, the, that's the what connection it is.
1: between socialism and communism. It, my favorite quote quote about that is communism is um commu- I mean socialism is just communism by vote. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> democratic socialism is just communism by vote. Yeah. Like <laughs> all these stupid labels that they throw on it to make it not seem like Satan's plan. It's still just at the root. you mean, you understand the theory. It's still just Satan's plan. It's yeah. still just losing, removing someone's agency in some way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, so what's your third quote? My that was my third quote. But my, oh, you're right. What's your fourth <laughs> quote? My fourth quote is um, a quote by Hebrew J Grant that was quoted in the book. Um, I love this. So Hebrew J Grant said, "Who is a prophet?" Right. Which one? He was the one before President Lee or McKay. The one before McKay, right? I cannot remember. What's that song? Um, Let's see. Joseph Smith, then Brigham Young, John Taylor was. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just (laughs) going to sing the whole song. (laughs) Okay, so Heber J. Grant. This we feel we can definitely say, that unless the people of America forsake the sins and the errors, political and otherwise, of which they are now guilty and return to the practice of the great fundamental principles of Christianity and of constitutional government, there will be no exaltation for them spiritually, and politically we shall lose our liberty and free institutions. We believe that our real threat comes from within and not from without, and it comes from the underlying spirit common to Nazism, fascism, and communism, namely the spirit which would array class against class, which would set up a socialistic state of some sort, which would rob the people of the liberties which we possess under the Constitution, and would set up such a reign of terror as exists now in many parts of Europe. Wow. Yeah. That was pretty, pretty freaking potent. <laughs> um, man, I'm really bummed we don't have conference talks like this (laughs) i know like throwing i mean we're in an international church now and i think part of the restoration is realizing that um teaching purely anti-evils is not as good as teaching goods like we we focus much more on the 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 atonement of Christ, the the resurrection of all mankind, and the ability that we have to, to have infinite love. Like, that's the actual solution to all problems, right? Mm-hmm. If we're just focusing on the solutions, it's much better. Um, understanding the theory is really important. And this this quote is fantastic because it explains why it's so important to be active in our civil duty. Because if we are allowing the government to restrict our liberties, we are potentially losing our exaltation. We are potentially losing our salvation. And it's because this theory that he brings up in the book over and over again, that we are responsible for what the government does in our name. Mm-hmm. And I really like this quote. It's, it's so powerful. It's so just in your face, direct blunt. And some would say loveless, I guess, because mm-hmm. it's, it's very justice minded and not mercy minded. Um, but it involves mercy as well, because he brings up how to solve it.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of it is that about the whole mercy justice thing that the laws need to be just, but the people can be merciful. Yeah. Not so you don't you do you don't make the laws merciful because then it's chaos. Yeah. You let the laws be laws and then you let people within those laws be merciful. Judges. Yeah. It's the same thing, it's the same thing with Christ. We needed to be perfect to return to heaven. We all failed, and therefore the we law is it. just. We all failed. We're all going to be miserable. In except... that, that's the law. That's the scaffolding there. But then, in the scaffolding, God provided a savior, which can, can save staircase us. staircase up the scaffolding, and it's the same exact thing. Like the law has not changed. We still need to be perfect to enter the presence of God. But we are given a An savior to help us get there.
1: To join with someone who is infinitely perfect. Yeah. Therefore, our finite imperfection is swallowed up in His infinite perfection, and we become perfect because of that joint.
0: Yeah. Contract. So it's, it's the same thing with with government. Is that it's not saying that we should be merciful or <laughs> merciless. Merciless. <laughs> we shouldn't be merciless, but our laws should be just. Our laws should be perfect, and the people should be merciful. It's 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 the the reason why our country
1: has gotten to the point it is because it was founded by imperfect men. Mm. imperfect men cannot create a perfect system. Mm -hmm. And so naturally, because a perfect system cannot be corrupted, um, we'll never have it until Christ comes again. So our responsibility is then to come as close to that as we can come and then allow God's judgment to determine, to make up for those injustices. He brings it up in the book, I think, talking about how, like, what do you do about someone who, Um, uses this freedom that the government allows and does terrible things with it. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you allow justice to affect him? Like, the government... I think the example he gives is related to swindling or something like that. Like, if someone leaves a life of debauchery and swindles other people out of their money constantly, if he's doing it through dishonest practices and it's not necessarily infringing on other people's rights with this theory of this book, he would have every right to do that for his entire life and he would never be brought to, quote-unquote, justice. And that's because it would be better to allow God's justice to affect him than an unjust government and political system to affect him and an innocent
0: person. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why it's so hard for me or other people like yeah. to talk about politics is because like as the more and more I've learned about politics, the more and more it's intertwined itself with religion. And it's so hard to tell people like, Oh, but why should we let people die? It's like, because there's an afterlife. Like it's, yes. you can't really like Eternal perspective. That's it's hard to say, look at the internal perspective. If every, the majority of people don't believe in God or believe, don't believe in God enough to strongly believe in an afterlife that's, or a final judgment or whatever—that's
1: one of I think the fundamental disagreements that I will have with a lot of people forever—is that um, when you get down to that ethical dilemma of do you—it's—it's—it's it's, it's brought up in um, the most prevalent example. I don't know if I'm pretty sure it, got, it came up in ethics class, ethics and values class in college, but it also this is an ethical dilemma that's brought up in. Um, The Stormlight Archive by Brian Sanderson. Um, It's the idea that you have three people. One of them is guilty and two of them are innocent. Do you enact a law that kills all three because they're all accused of the same crime and it's impossible to prove any which one of them is guilty or any of them is innocent? Or do you allow the guilty man to go free in order to save the innocent? And I am of the opinion that it is better to allow the guilty man to go free than to kill an innocent person you should allow the justice of God to take care of the guilty party mm-hmm. Re- because it is so much worse to be responsible and have the blood on your hands of an innocent person. I would much rather allow a guilty person free and let God deal with him than have an innocent person's blood on my hands. Yeah. And you might argue that that guilty person will then go get kill more people and that blood will be on my hands because I allowed that to happen. But it's still not my actions that are doing that. I am not committing murder. Like, uh, if I kill an innocent person, I am committing murder.
0: Yeah,
1: but that that guy's the
0: one committing the murder. He's literally
1: committing the murder. So it's the justice in the afterlife will be met. Like, mm-hmm. justice cannot go unmet. Like, yeah. it's justice.
0: Hmm.
1: So yeah, that like that idea. Um. We're way off tangent here, aren't we? We are. Yeah, but it's a good discussion. The idea, <laughs> yeah. though, that that it is better to have a law that um, takes care of the guilty party. I feel like our government is that way a lot. It is better to allow innocent people to be affected as long as the guilty party is brought to justice.
0: That's well, basically all but it's
1: of our laws. <laughs> all of really, our laws. A it's, lot of them. <laughs> a lot of them, yeah. Especially dealing with things c- completely unrelated to um, anything at all, like the seatbelt law. And There's no guilty party there. Taxation. Taxation, Journal. And... And... Yeah. Um, so there is one thing about this quote, bringing it back, that I want to um, talk about a little bit, and that's his idea that the spirit of which would array class against class, like the philosophy behind it. So he brings up socialism, Nazism, fascism, and communism, the spirit of which would array class against class. You think about capitalism – which is the antithesis of these political systems. Capitalism is the idea that an individual person cannot do or have anything happen to them without agreeing to it. So you purchase something, both parties must agree to that purchase. Mm-hmm. But the systems of fascism, Nazism, socialism, communism, those array class against class in that um, the government has a say and so the government, which is the higher class, it is the entity of the government, the class of the government, is pitted against that of the consumer. Like, it's interesting. Like, that, what do you think of that idea? Can you read the quote one more time? The whole quote or just that? Just section? that one. <clears throat> so he says, We believe that. Our real threat comes from within and not without, and it comes from the underlying spirit common to Nazism, fascism, socialism, and communism, namely the spirit which would array class against class, which would set up a socialistic state of some sort.
0: What is what is array class against class? What is... Uh, when I think that, of array, I think of like a line of things. So array like in the array sense of is like
1: pitting people against each other. Oh. So creating enemies out of two classes. Okay.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, I think if you think about the way that communism or capitalism works in its truest form, it's a win-win. No matter what. Because someone trades something that they both mutually benefit from the exchange. Because I have $10, which I like, but I also would really like some food, which I'd like more. Wendy's. So I'm going to trade that, and they have the food, and they're like, I'd rather have the $10, and so we switch. So it's they mutu- want to buy an Xbox. Yeah, exactly. Because it, So it's mutually beneficial in a capitalistic society. The way that – so there's this
1: quote that I read about capitalism by F.A. Hayek who wrote a bunch of essays, some really, really rad essays about um, socialism. He was an eco- – he's a world-renowned economist, and he was very anti-socialist. He um, brings up the idea that capitalism self destructs because people feel slighted sometimes. And that's because we all have a basic need. And sometimes we hate having to fulfill that need. Take hunger as an example. If you're starving, but you have five bucks, but you're saving that five bucks to buy yourself a weed whipper because you really need one to continue your business, but you're forced by your bodily needs Mm. to purchase food with that five dollars, it's unfair and it frustrates you. So capitalism self-destructs because people get into those situations and they blame the system for requiring them to do that. They blame the system for the state of mortality.
0: Yeah, that makes no sense to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's this thing that's done all the time. People blame capitalism for their woes because they see all this incredible technology around us and they're like, why the heck do I still have to work to fulfill my basic needs when it's so easy to provide for them? Yeah. For other people to provide for them, especially like it's, it's an interesting dilemma that trips people up logically, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And I don't know. I, I, I just really don't understand that, like, why that would be unfair. I, I don't know. To me, it just seems like it's just like life. The harder you work, like, not mortality, just our th- existence. Yeah, just back in the day, you think of like Adam and Eve or like people way back in the day, where like, if you don't work, you don't do something. You're just gonna die. It, it's just, Wither I mean, th- those are facts. Like, is it unfair? Are you gonna regulate and uh, bureaucratize nature? You can't, and it's the same type of thing where, com or capitalism, more in more, let me see, mimics nature, and just the way our universe works, uh, more closely than any other method. Yeah, it's
1: the perfect system for imperfect people. Yeah, and the reason why it's that way, um, reason why it's so good for us, is because of our individual liberties. Like if we have a basic human right to be able to say what we want, capitalism allows that because you need to be able to say what you want in order to get what you want. Mm -hmm. And other people need to be able to say what they want in order to agree with what you want and to exchange
0: things. I think this is kind of me shooting off the cuff here, but I think that people, the people who really fight against capitalism really think that it's unfair that we have billionaires. It's unfair that people are starving while other people are super rich and driving Lamborghinis and whatever have helicopter pads as AOC mentioned
1: Mm -hmm.
0: a while ago. Um, it's that people are just uncomfortable with the idea that they might just be a little bit mediocre and they might just fail and they might just fail. And people don't like failing. And so people try to buck failing. And you, you, you look at, uh, I'm just. I'm going to mention Stephen Crowder again because I've been watching a lot of his videos. He said that for five years, when he was starting out his channel, he would come into work at five in the morning and he would be sit down. He'd be at his desk working at five in the morning. He that did that for, sucks. He did that for five years, and now he's. It's taking a toll on his health. Yeah, and he says he's going to need to tone it back a little bit um, and not do that quite as much. But you think about the general populace does anyone do most people have the drive. drive to wake up and be at the office at 5 in the morning and then work I sure until all hours uh, all hours of the night i don't i would be freaking rich right now if i
1: had that dedication to to both my job or just my career in general
0: yeah and so for me it's like i realized that i would rather have some of the comforts of life and be a little bit mediocre then have to do what Steven Crowder did for five years to be able to get where he is. Like it's, he earned his his status, it's right? It's like now. Jordan
1: Peterson says, um, kind of along the same lines, that life is miserable. Life is misery. And that's because life is misery unless you do something about it. Like I don't know if he actually says that itself, but like you think about it and and like these people that quote-unquote hoard piles and piles of money. It's their extreme dedication to their craft that enables other people to be mediocre. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about Steven Crowder, he does that every day, right? He is working crazy hard. How many people does he employ? He employs like a dozen people now?
0: Uh, yeah, prob- I have no idea.
1: He might even employ more people than that, and it's because of his work ethic that that's possible. Because he, with his hard work, has gotten the following. He has gotten that media influence. He has gotten the publicity. He's gotten the money like to be able to allow that to happen. If it weren't for him doing that and earning that money, he would not be able to provide for those people. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily him personally providing because they are working for what they do. But you think about Elon Musk. Elon Musk would read two books a, books a week, work 80 to 120-hour work weeks. Just insane for years and years and years and he is a billionaire and he owns billion dollar companies and people get mad at him all the time because he doesn't share his quote unquote hoard. And there's actually a Twitter incident this, this year, June or something of someone accusing him of hoarding money. And he responds with, what are you doing about it? Like, what are you doing outside? I employ thousands of people because of me and my actions, I provide for literally tens of thousands of people.
0: Yeah. If it weren't for me, those people would be on the street starving right now. And the same thing you think of, like, Stephen Crowder. Like, yeah, he only, like, employees, like, maybe let's just say a dozen people yeah. full-time. But – his websites are hosted on a hosting thing yeah. that he pays for. He creates these mugs with a mug club that someone had to manufacture. He is on YouTube that makes his living off of their services. And, Even though and they don't pay the, him squat. Yeah, the ad revenue that he that they generate for him. Well, actually, they all, all his things, yeah, things are demonetized. All
1: his things are demonetized. But, but they're still get, earning money because someone's going to go to Stephen Carter's web, web uh, videos there specifically to watch something from him like I did today. And I watched a couple other videos by other creators instead as yeah. well.
0: Yeah, and so he is building value not just for the dozen or so people that he employs but for all the other people that he interacts with. When he goes to campuses, the when he does talks – when he did that talk at uh, Texas A&M, the sound people, the, the staff at Texas A&M, all of these things uh, – Business really does employ so many people and it it's very communal and yeah. it just it lifts does everyone. not function at all like if if you imagined
1: if the government had to say have a say in literally every transaction he would not be able to do anything because the government would have to approve everything it would take him decades to do what he's done in a couple of years mm-hmm. because he has so many different transactions that he has to go through in order to do this and not necessarily even money exchanging hands but labor exchanging hands it's the same thing yeah. but
0: that's I don't know seems crazy so um
1: yeah. that's the end my last quote
0: yeah I don't know for me that's, that's I
1: I guess to wrap up my thoughts about this book as an overarching kind of idea behind it I th- what would you say is the single biggest takeaway from this book like, it doesn't have to be a quote it just has to be a general idea that I took away or
0: the idea the premise or the that you I, took away that I took away <clears throat> um for me it was it was the moral obligation that I have to make sure that the laws, and things that our society, that our government does, are in line with what I believe. Kay. And yeah, I That's would say really that.
1: Good. Um, I'd say I had two types of takeaways, like two takeaways of two different types. And the first takeaway is yeah, like a better understanding of my responsibility and why I am held accountable for the government's actions. I love that it is is taught through that. The next one is the next takeaway is a theoretical takeaway. It's the, an idea, a philosophical takeaway. Um, understanding and knowing why the government shouldn't have a say in certification. It's something new that I learned. Um, it's an idea that's kind of floated in my head before, but I'd never been able to really put or nail down why I disliked having to get like certified for things, bar exams, medical board, things like that. Why it bothered me. I never really understood why it bothered me. The government was, was in control of that. Now I have a concrete reason as to why I dislike it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a good philosophical takeaway. Yeah.
0: I, the other one, actually I have one more. I think it more f- more firmly is solidifying or is helping solidify just the idea that uh, politics and religion are like one and the same or they have they're like they are the two sides of the same coin kind of thing where they're like they're pretty different but they're very very connected at the same like you know uh inseparable but different um yeah that's that's your
1: first boys (laughs) took years (laughs) and a book to convince Nate that I'm actually right (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, that's an idea that that I got because of my grandpa and essays that I read of his on my mission and I need to find those essays again and reread them because they're pretty good Hmm. but um yeah, this book, highly, highly, highly recommend it. These quotes are just a small taste of how delicious this <laughs> philosophy is.
0: Literally, there, I, and I speak for both of us, there are marks on every single page of this Literally
1: book. every <laughs> single page, sometimes two to three. <laughs> yeah. And my pages are smaller because I have a Kindle, so beat that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, so what's the temperature
0: now? Uh, let me check. Sorry.
1: Oh, you're so slow. I know. Sorry. Should have gotten an Android.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's pulling up. Okay. It says it's 43 outside. Turns out uh, this app. Um, it uses
1: the Dark Skies
0: API, right? No. No, it doesn't? It did. And it then they updated anymore. it. And to be able to use the Dark Sky API, you have to pay. So, like, oh. dang it. <laughs> well, you want to hear what Dark Sky says it is right <laughs> yes. now? Yes. 40 degrees. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Mm-hmm. I love this app, and I paid for it a while ago, and then they just did an update where they went to subscription, and I really don't want to pay a subscription for my weather app. Yeah. Even though it's a great weather app, I love it. I pay a subscription like, for Dark Skies. It's $2 a year. You do? Totally worth it. $2 a year? Yeah, get Dark Skies, dude. Come on. There's a reason why MKBHD uses it. Mine's $10 a year. Holy crap. I mean, it yeah. uses the Dark Sky API, and it has a bunch of themes and a bunch of stuff, but...
1: Yeah, I mean... Come on, like, I don't know if it's gonna look anything like this, but they have a dark mode, <laughs> and it looks delicious. And then it gives you like live weather stuff. And whoa, this is new.
0: Here's the thing: most of the time, I'm not gonna lie, I don't like dark mode. I know that's super controversial, but I most of the time do not like. The dark only mode. reason why I like it now, um, I do. I don't like all
1: blacks. I like grays, mm. and so like dark modes now for all OLEDs. Like tech talk, real quick here at the end. Um, dark modes bug me because. Um, it's just bland, you know? And so, uh, what's it called? I use them now because they have scientific evidence that it improves battery life.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Plus it, it really does save your eyes at night.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. I will turn on dark mode for things like that.
1: <clears throat> anyway,
0: that's about it.
1: 40 degrees. Talk nice to you later. cold outside. See ya. Fine. Bye.